Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round is, well, I'm going to be talking about the royal family. I'm going to be talking about the coronation. There will be a part of you thinking, come on, Jem, why didn't you do that a while ago? Because the answer to that is, at the time of the coronation, everybody was doing it, and why would you want to hear another one about coronation-y stuff? But I'm coming at this from a different perspective, because at the time of recording, and the time this is coming out, basically... It's basically one year since Queen Elizabeth II's 70th Jubilee. Happy Jubilee, ma'am. And thank you for everything. So a lot has changed in not so much the world. We'd already had like war in Ukraine. We'd already had COVID and things like that. But a lot's changed for the royal family and led to some new conversations if you like since that event and that's what i wanted to talk about now a while ago do you know i can't even remember how far back i'm gonna guess four or five months i did an episode on harry and megan and the reason for that is obviously that was kind of the hot topic then and there and yes they're going to creep into here and a few comments that i made in that one i will carry over to this one because they're still relevant but rather than focusing on some rather hurt royals some rather angry royals we're going to be talking about the family business as it is sometimes referred to and one thing i did specifically say in that harry and megan one how i found it really interesting looking at the social media around it because the royal family is a classic example of this doesn't fit on social media you cannot summarize the royal family in a tweet and do anything other than just be, I don't know, cheeky or rude or unhelpful. Let, let me put it that way. Where exactly do I start with this? Well, let's let's start with something awkward. And then I'm going to, I guess, go from there. Good luck, Jem. We'll see how this goes. All right. So basically what I found interesting is a lot of people say, oh, you know, why can't the coronation be x or why can't the coronation be y and you know basically it needs to be changed and updated and da 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 and to be fair to charles he has tried very hard to make this the most inclusive and modern and reflecting of modern british society coronation ever if you go back to queen elizabeth ii's coronation 
it was just done like all the other recent coronations and there was no sensitivity to gender and race and so on and so forth and nobody was really complaining then but the thing i'm going to say that's sort of awkward about it is if you are a modern liberal we are constantly talking about how we need to respect other cultures there is no best culture and just because it's alien to us we shouldn't start disrespecting it and i agree with that i think that's absolutely valid and it's absolutely vital in the world of a historian it can be very tempting sometimes to think look at all these dumb people 500 years ago but the reality is they just had a different perspective on things the reason why i say that is because as i said lots of people saying oh this is hashtag not my king or this is a coronation this is a disgrace and all that kind of stuff it's like whoa if you're going to say that we need to respect these hunter-gatherer cultures from South America and recognize their own merits in their own culture and identity, then you need to recognize that this is the culture of Britain. Just because you're angry doesn't eradicate a thousand years of this stuff. You know, Britain was, well, okay, let's get super technical, walk a tightrope, if you like, you know, for the super nationalists, for the sort of like monarchy crazy people, people get very angry with me saying, oh, there hasn't been a king of England since the unification of the grounds in 1604. It's like, okay, but, you know, generally the king at the moment, who is still a weird thing to say, you know, if, if you like me, if you presume you've grown up or you're, you're not a one-year-old, you grow up your entire life referring to the queen and now we're referring to the king but you know basically yes they of course are the head crown of the state and the state includes northern ireland scotland wales and england but buckingham palace is in london and if you're using the term king of england it's absorbed into the king of great britain and northern ireland yeah, just for simplicity's sake, I'll just refer to him as the King of Britain. If you want to start adding these extra bits in there. But obviously, there is a dotted line from King Charles III to the various ceremonies of these medieval kings. And, you know, the first King of England was in the early 900s AD, a rather forgotten gentleman called Athelstan, who did actually, for a time, hold political power through conquest, through aggression, over Scotland as well. So, you know, he kind of was an important deal. So that's over a thousand years ago. Now, if you're going to say, well, let's talk about modern connections, well, the interesting fact is that King Edward later known as King Edward the Confessor, more on that in a moment, he was crowned, he was the first king to be crowned at Westminster Abbey. And that happened in 1050. So that's nearly a thousand years ago. So whereas you may be a Republican, you may not like the royal family, you may find them elitist and yada yada yada, and obviously Charles does not have a lot of DNA connected to Edward, or indeed Athelstan, who had no children for the record, then clearly there are sort of like breaks in it, but it is the continuing of a tradition. Tradition! Tradition! And whether you like it or not, Britain's had a royal family for over a thousand years, and that's part of the culture. Now, literally, part of history has been pushing against that. There was the Civil War in the 1600s, where quite literally, Charles's namesake, Charles I, had his head cut off. This is the head of a traitor! No, it's not! It's a huge pumpkin with a pathetic moustache! 
I'll try again. Again, so I'll a bit more about that later on. But the fact of the matter is, you can't understand Britain without understanding the monarchy as well. It is vitally important. I find it a fascinating fact that the crowns of Scotland and England were unified about a hundred years before the two political entities became Britain. They were still Scotland and England. Just, I find that fascinating. But back to Edward, because he's an important one to look at. He, as I said, is known as Edward the Confessor. What's that got to do with anything? Because he was a very religious man. And so there are rituals to go through in the Catholic Church to turn somebody from just an ordinary person all the way up to a saint, you know, like St. Patrick or whatever. The reality is the first stage of that is where you become known as a confessor. Edward was a very holy man. One of the problems was Edward also didn't have any kids. This is a big problem. Basically, as a monarch, you do need an heir and a spare. And I've mentioned two kings already that managed to fail in that area. And basically, his death in January of 1066 triggers the whole 1066 thing. And the eventual arrival of William, Duke of Normandy, becomes William the Conqueror. Anyway, the point is... Had Britain, England specifically, remained as part of the Catholic Church, then by now he wouldn't be known as Edward the Confessor because he wasn't called Edward the Confessor during his lifetime. This took centuries for it to be brought in and more centuries would have had to have passed before eventually it was like, hey, it turns out he is Saint Edward. But that never happened because of the break in the 1500s, courtesy of Henry VIII and the creation of the Anglican Church. So you can see all of this stuff is just dripping in the DNA and history and political decisions of these islands. And you've now got this embodiment, this living history with Charles. It was the smart money, mine included, not actual money, was the fact that a lot of kings, it's not remembered this way but a lot of monarchs change their name when they become the king and a lot of people thought like i said me included that charles would change his name to george because there's been this whole period of this literally the georgian era and what does charles have to do with in what way is he related literally but also politically with the other two Charleses. As I said, number one got his head cut off. Generally, if you have a king that was a complete disaster, you don't get another one with that name. But because he happened to already have an eldest son called Charles and the monarchy was reinstated, then you get a Charles II. And Charles II was also nicknamed the Merry Monarch and people kind of liked him. It's interesting, though, that after that, nothing. There's been no Charleses for 300 years, a little over 300 years, till we get to Charles III. And what's interesting is Charles is clearly, obviously, he is a, I don't want to use the word victim. I mean, you know, the guy lives literally in multiple palaces, but he is a prisoner, if you like, to the constraints of what a modern monarchy is. But you can tell through some of his gestures that he's really trying to do the right thing. I'll give you two examples, one serious and one kind of silly. But the serious one is the fact that we obviously had, after the death of Queen Elizabeth II, there is always a message from the monarch on Christmas Day, the Christmas message. And Charles did one, because obviously Queen Elizabeth II, she got her 70th jubilee, and she hung on long enough 
to basically invest Liz Truss as Prime Minister, you could kind of tell that she was hanging on to do that so that basically the, the government could keep going. The photo of her shaking the hand of Liz Truss was kind of shocking. You could see how frail she was. And she was so frail, she wasn't even really there as part of the 70th Jubilee. Although there's that wonderful pre-recorded bit at the beginning with Paddington, which is about as British as it gets and is a wonderful icon of Britishness around the world. Perhaps you would like a marmalade sandwich. I always keep one for emergencies. So do I. But anyway, the point is that, quite frankly, the viewing figures of the Queen's message had been going down steadily over the years. The thing about a modern royal family is they're not meant to be political. They're kind of bland. If you listen to any of their speeches, and I said this in the Harry and Meghan one, you may fundamentally disagree with the idea of a monarchy, and I get that, but if you actually listen to any of their speeches, there's nothing there to get angry at. They are deliberately apolitical. But Charles did do an interesting thing. And because everybody kind of wanted to see, well, what's Charles going to be like at these things? It was the most viewed Christmas message for over 10 years. And indeed, I watched it. I wanted to see what the new monarch had to say. And what I found interesting is he went out of his way to reference the value of public workers. This is the essence of our community and the very foundation of our society. We see it in the selfless dedication of our armed forces and emergency services who work tirelessly to keep us all safe. We see it in our health and social care professionals, our teachers, and indeed all those working in public service. And he didn't need to do that. But he was doing this at the time when lots of public sector workers were taking a vote on whether to strike or not over pay increases or lack thereof in their various different functions. It could be ambulance workers, it could be nurses and so on and so forth. That was interesting. You know, by saying that he valued those people was the strongest nod that you could do as a royal saying, you know, we need to treat these people right. They are a valuable part of society. That's a serious one. The slightly was a sillier one is during the coronation, every monarch gets anointed with chrism. Now, the, the interestingly, the, the chrism of Queen Elizabeth II had to be made for her. She was planning to use her father's, but it seemed to have been destroyed during World War II or got lost or, well, it was genuinely damaged. They, they found the bottle, but it had been broken at some point. Fair enough. But what we've got is this special oil. This is the idea that basically the monarch is a demigod. You want to go back to the the time of the ancient pharaohs? Literally, they're gods, okay? But in the case of the ones today, obviously Charles is no different to the rest of us, but this anointing elevates this person to the crown. Now, this is a thing a lot of people sort of get wrong. And again, we had this on social media. The day of Queen Elizabeth II's death, it was then announced that Charles will be Charles III. And, and I told this story before, there was a person online who went, well, I see Charles hasn't wasted any time. And I responded, I'm generally not trying to start arguments on Twitter. I try to be a positive force on social media. But on that particular one, I felt the need to try and educate and basically said, that isn't him. It is just standard that as soon as the monarch dies, the new one becomes the new king or queen. Have you never heard or seen the scene in a movie, The King is Dead, Long Live the King? The King is Dead, Long Live the King! In other words, showing the the passing of the succession. 
And that person didn't reply to me, but I got a number of messages underneath it going, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Indeed, and I make this comment again in the previous one, that Terry Pratchett makes the joke that the fastest speed in the universe is monarchy, because whereas the speed of light is fast, the reality is that monarchy instantaneously moves from the dead monarch to the new monarch. So it cannot be measured. It's instantaneous, which technically does make it the fastest speed in the universe. So anyway, the point is that that's just one example of people getting upset about the anointing. But here's the thing. Charles has gone out of his way to make sure that, first of all, the oil is being created from from Jerusalem. So there's a connection to the church and it's specifically vegan. If you're a vegan, you're going to be okay with having that chrism sort of like put over their head. Whereas I guess in the past you could be appalled at the sort of animal cruelty that could be involved in this tiny amount of oil being put on a monarch's forehead. So when you get nods like that, and and indeed Charles has been very outspoken about things like environmental cases and architecture and things like that, and he's deliberately calmed it down now that he is the head of state. The other thing I wanted to sort of point out here, I've been paying careful attention to this. So again, all the build up to the coronation, the hashtag not my king is sort of like sometimes trending on Twitter. And what I found interesting is, again, Charles allowed a group to actually protest it. You know, part of Britain is freedom of speech. And so even though he obviously clearly disagrees with them, they are allowed to to actually sort of like say we want to abolish the monarchy which obviously doesn't quite work the other way round does it but anyway what i find interesting is i then went on to i started digging on this one and i there is a very well-run campaign to talk about you know britain should be a republic monarchy is elitist absolutely it is that's kind of the point of it it's undemocratic again that's the point of a monarchy you win on that one fair enough but what i found quite telling is there's lots of research, there's lots of market research to show generally between 70 and 75% of people, if you ask them, should we have a, a sort of like a living, breathing monarchy, say yes. So if it was put to a vote, which is obviously not the point of a monarchy in the first place, yeah, actually, it turns out most people are cool with it. Now, interestingly, since Charles, because Queen Elizabeth II was really loved by people, and she'd been just this cornerstone of normality for 70 years It has dropped with Charles. The lowest number I could find was 58%. But that's still comfortably more than the 42% the other way, I guess. And I bet there's a few percent of don't know or don't care in there as well. So the argument doesn't work. But if you look at the Twitter account for the sort of make Britain a Republic, it has about... I mean, at the last time I checked it, about 67,000 people on it. And that's a lot of people. But then if you look at the Twitter account of the royal family, it has 5.3 million followers. So obviously a lot of people out there are going to be in other countries and things like that. But it just shows you that the people who are looking to get rid of the monarchy feel very passionate about it, as is your right. But if you're going to be pro-democracy, you have to recognize you are in the minority, quite substantially so. And, you know, we did in Britain, as already pointed out, with a civil war, we literally cut the king's head off and we were a republic and we just found that 
republic so severe, we actually wanted the monarchy back again, which is what stopped it, because once Charles II was invited back to Britain, he couldn't be an absolute ruler. So if you like, it was a pressure release. And ever since then, after Charles II onwards, so for the last 350 years, give or take, the monarchs have successively, again and again, basically given away more and more power. And so, for example, it is still the reality in Britain that no law becomes a legal precedent until it is signed off by the monarch. But in the last hundred years, do you want to know how many laws have not been signed off by the monarch? The answer is zero. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Because... Well, yeah, they they don't want to ruffle the feathers. They are aware that they are here, if you like, by invitation of the British people. So, you know, when people talk about how awful the royal family is, they have no power, no realistic power, and they are good for the tourism industry. And because they're not trying to be political, if you actually just want to look past, like, the whole unelected thing, they're actually trying to bring Britain together. Please have a look at the images again of the coronation versus the Queen Elizabeth II's one, and there are far more women involved. There are far more people of colour involved as well. You know, Charles really tried to make sure that this wasn't just a bunch of middle-aged slash old white guys, which it invariably is in every other image of previous coronations. So, yes, it's moving, which, in essence, it doesn't really need to do, but, hey... If you're the king, you can get your way on certain things, and in particular, your coronation. So I will be coming back to the modern royal family, but hey, just before I do, I'm going to sort of throw out to you guys, please subscribe, 
please give us a review. You know, if there's any way you can get the message out, be great to grow the listenership. We are seeing sort of steady, slow growth, which means people like it and stay with us for a while. And that's great. Thank you very much. But tell somebody else about it. That'd be great. And if you give us a review on whatever podcast thing you're listening to, thank you very much, by the way, it helps the algorithm find us more. So that'd be much appreciated. Cheers for that. So I want to go back to kind of like what is and what isn't really part of the coronation because one of the strange things about it is yes literally kings have been crowned in britain for more than a thousand years but actually what you're seeing is sometimes surprisingly modern like for example i said earlier that in 1050 edward the confessor was crowned at westminster abbey that sentence is true but he was crowned in old westminster abbey the anglo-saxon church that was built in the 11th century so it didn't look anything like the medieval and in some parts high gothic parts of the church that you see today so it's quite different and also when people talk about sort of like clangers or disappointing moments in the coronation the reality is you've got to look at what's happened in previous coronations and sort of like other things around the coronation so starting off we got william the conqueror so i, I mentioned edward well, in 1066, William wins the Battle of Hastings, spoiler alert on that one, and he gets crowned on Christmas Day. But what happened was, I love this one, basically when the, the cheers went up about him being crowned, the people outside the church sort of like cheered in sort of like solidarity of their new overlord. And, you know, he didn't speak the same language and he's just killed a whole bunch of Englishmen. So, you know, I'm sure it was a bit tense. But when they cheered, the Norman guards, the knights, didn't quite know what that was, thought that the locals were were rioting, so started attacking the crowd, started killing sort of innocent onlookers. So again, you know, and people sort of talk about little fluffs in coronations, past and present. Nothing compares to, you know, could you imagine... You know, the police have been running into the onlookers of Charles III and, you know, started shooting various innocent bystanders. That that certainly would have been a look. But it was said in the Chronicles that you could see William visibly shaking in the throne, sitting on the throne as that was happening. Then, you know, this was in, in the coronation in the 12th century. Well, the anointing spoon is the oldest bit of kit that is still connected to the coronation so that anointing spoon has been you know through multiple wars civil wars world wars etc you know social upheaval massive changes to britain and it's from the 12th century so it would have been used with somebody like richard the lionheart 1189 to 1199 for the record but putting aside the anointing spoon that is still with us richard the first richard the lionheart's actual coronation was a bit odd too because it was clear that a bat was circling the seated Richard, which was seen as a bad omen. And for some reason, we don't know why, occasionally the bells would clang, not at the time that they were meant to. And so both of these things were meant to be seen as ill omens. Now, Richard wasn't a great king. He's a great story, a very brave man, great general, but he really didn't like England. And in his entire 10-year reign, he spent less than a year here. And he famously said on one occasion... I would sell London if only I could find a buyer. But, you know, hero of the Third Crusade and liked beating the French, all this sort of stuff that generally puts a smile on Englishman's face. But you could say that because he was killed before his time and his reign was only 10 years, maybe those ill omens were accurate. Then, 
I'm going to move on to the Stone of Schoon. You would have seen that stone, and all the commentators would have told you this anyway at the time, that was sort of like put in underneath the wooden throne. I've got to say, the throne itself looks kind of shabby, particularly compared to some other thrones and some fake thrones that are out there as well. But the reality is that... It used to be covered in gold leaf and it's just sort of like worn off over the time. And because it's sort of like stored for like decades and isn't necessarily under constant armed supervision, it's covered in gouged out graffiti, allegedly by the various generations of choir boys who've had access to that. But I mean, again, that's kind of British, isn't it? Sort of like graffiti scratched up, you know, naughty schoolboys. Yeah, it sounds pretty on brand for us. But the point on that is... Edward the First, you know, namesake of that Edward the Confessor. We are now in the late twelve hundreds, and Edward is an incredibly important person in understanding British history. For starters, he was the first English king since ten sixty six to actually have English as a first language. He could also speak French and Latin as well, but he could actually speak English, which was kind of useful for an English king. He was the person who eventually conquered Wales. And he created the concept of the Prince of Wales, that the next heir to the throne will be the Prince of Wales. So, you know, there's this slightly mythologized. He gives his son, Edward II, who turned out to be a terrible king, but, you know, nobody knew that when he was a small child, to the Welsh. And there was lots of applauding. It definitely didn't happen that way. And it's a little bit more complicated than that. But whereas... In France, the word Dauphin meant that you are the heir to the throne, and that's the way it was for, like, 800 years, give or take. Then, similarly, you've got the same thing with the Prince of Wales, and it absolutely makes Wales part of the story of the royal family. And it is worth pointing out, if you're thinking, well, why isn't he the King of Wales? There never was a King of Wales. The best you could ever get is Llewellyn Ap Griffith and Owington Dua, who sort of announced themselves as, as Prince of Wales. So Edward crushes the the Welsh, but also he does a pretty good job of capturing Scotland as well. It's a whole complicated story. I don't have time to go into it. But one of the things to show a sign of submission to Edward is he took the Stone of Schoon, which is basically just a chunk of limestone. It's not fancy. You know, it's not covered in gold or anything like that. And he took it back down south in 1296, where it stayed until 1950 when a bunch of Scottish students stole it and it disappeared for months but they did eventually get it back again and it's been there kind of ever since until 1996 when the British government gave it back to Scotland until I allowed it to now for the record it's called the Stone of Schoon that's how you pronounce it but it's spelled S-C-O-N-E so like scone or scone depending on where you're from but that's how you pronounce it in Scotland in relation to the location. So it's been sent back ever since on the understanding that every time a monarch is to be crowned in Westminster Abbey, that stone is to be, and indeed it gets an armed escort all the way from Scotland down to Westminster Abbey, where it is there for a few days to allow the crowning, and then it is sent back up again. But in essence, what it's now a symbol of is that I may be being crowned in, in London, England, but I'm actually also the monarch of Scotland too, because this is an important part of the rituals that were involved in the Scottish monarchy. So that's something that's definitely from medieval eras, 
but where's all the medieval crowns and stuff like that? Well, I can answer that, and we have King John to thank for that. That's the brother of Richard I. If if Richard the Lionheart was a bad king for England, John says, hold my beer, watch me lose the whole of Normandy, our ancestral homelands, and start a civil war, and end up being sort of like curtailed with Magna Carta and all that stuff anyway. But the point is... During the various wars with the barons, I mean, basically it's a civil war, he was crossing a river with the crown jewels, they fell in and got washed away. So that's why we don't have any of, like, the original, like the the crown of William the Conqueror or something like that. It just has disappeared. It does mean somewhere off the east coast of England... There's some amazing archaeological finds to be found, but good luck. I mean, that is finding a needle in a haystack, quite frankly. John's 1199 when he's crowned, and this is all happening in the early 1200s. I then skipped to Edward. I made reference to Edward II. Well, Edward II had... I mean, he was a terrible king in so many different ways, really. The bad stuff that happened during his coronation was, again, sort of like small beer compared to what actually happened during his reign proper. But... During his actual coronation, Sir John Bakewell, one of the knights of Edward II, was crushed during a crowd surge. You know, so there was basically a lack of crowd control there, and one of the attended knights was killed. So again, whatever problems there may be with modern coronations, chicken feed compared to that. And James II, this is the brother of Charles II. He was to be ousted, and this is what was to lead to all kinds of problems with the monarchy and why we didn't want to have any more Catholics. He was not a popular king, either in Scotland or in England. Now, for the record, he's James VII of Scotland and James II of England, but during his coronation in England, his crown nearly fell off, which is obviously, that's not what you want during a coronation, and there was a sharp gust of wind that managed to tear the royal standard. So, again fell omens sort of there which actually turned out again to be completely accurate in regards to that and if we're going to go to the Hanoverians that's all the Georges George 1, 2, 3 and 4 they're all down literally all in a row all throughout the 1700s on into the 1800s George the 4th was the worst of the lot fat gambler but he was just he's just a terrible human being in every possible way again Charles looks good by comparison. He's not a glutton. He loves his wife. I know it's his second wife, but he got it right the second time. And he's not the only person in Britain to have gone through a divorce, okay? But George IV, I love this one. He actually banned the Queen Consort, i.e. his wife, from his coronation. That's not a good sign, is it? (laughs) My point here is that basically, in the modern world, of course, what is the place of a monarchy? And the argument is that it gives you a link to the past. It is living, breathing culture of Britons. Hashtag not my king is a ridiculous thing to say because, okay, are you trying to get another monarch on the throne? Like somebody like Guy Fawkes, you know, the the whole gunpowder plot, the whole point of that was not to create some kind of new radical republic, but actually just to change a Protestant king with a Catholic king. So... They clearly don't mean that. They mean creating a republic where we get an elected president, an elected head of state. But of course, all you have to do is look at America and see that once you become elected, 
then you have to be political. You have to start picking sides. And America is about as divided as it's ever been since the Civil War, because whoever the president is, the other half of the country is furious at them. And that, if you like, is the point. This is where I'm going to say that this is how monarchy is better, because, like I say, they're deliberately bland. They don't say anything that's controversial. Whereas, if you are one of the people working hard to create a republic, your chances are you're going to be more left-leaning, and then, congratulations, you get your way, end of the monarchy, and now we have a republic in Britain, we get our first presidential elections for Britain. Well, what happens if you're left-wing and supporting the Labour candidate and the Conservative candidate comes in? Are they hashtag not my president? In which case, you don't understand democracy, because if more people want that other thing, then that's what the majority wants, and that's how it works. So... We have to be careful with these things. Just because I want something really bad, is that necessarily what everybody else wants? And we agree generally in the West that majority rule through things like elections is the way we should be making our political decisions. So be careful about this stuff, all right? Again, I love the trolls out there who are sort of like, I can't work out whether they're deliberately trying to stir the pot or whether they're just dumb. Or maybe they're just dumb trying to stir the pot. Could be all of the above. So why, why limit yourself, Jim? Another thing I liked was somebody complaining about basically showing a picture of Charles, then William, then George. And basically saying, look, for the next hundred years, we're going to be ruled by white guys. Where's the diversity? And of course, the first message under... I didn't reply to that one because it was so colossally stupid. You can blame an organisation like a political organization or a business institution or something like that. You could absolutely blame them for not having enough diversity, but you can't have a go for somebody for like not marrying a person of color from different religion or something like that. They've married who they want to, and it is just a family. It's, it's not a whole company like HSBC or something like that or Apple. The ethnic diversity doesn't really count if you're going to start bringing in the Meghan thing. Well, Harry was never the next in line anyway, so that part of the family is sort of like branching off into the, you know, in the medieval realms, they would be like the Duke of Anjou and just be allowed to just a Count of Anjou, technically, that, that was the title during the medieval eras, and then they could have fun there, but they were never going to become king. But the other side, of course, the first tweet underneath it, first reply underneath it was, you do remember that the previous monarch had been a queen for 70 years. And it is worth remembering that the two longest reigning monarchs in all of British history were both women. You've got Queen Elizabeth II, 70 years, and you've got Queen Victoria, 63 years. So you're talking about a combined amount of 130 years then, which is yeah longer than that century that they were talking about with the three guys. And here's an interesting thing. I talk, like, I've sort of crunched the numbers, and what I find interesting is the average reign of an English-slash-British king, or monarch, I should say, is 21 years, which makes King Stephen, yeah, we had a King Stephen in the 1100s, and Henry VIII, just for length of reign, the most average. Now, obviously, some people were there for, like, a heartbeat, and other people have been there for, like, 70 years as well. So, obviously, this is the average over the whole thing. But I find it interesting that you tend to get about 20 years of rule. And I think Charles, he'll obviously be in his 90s, he'll be old, but when you look at what his mother and his grandmother were like in terms of their age, they made it to those ages, and he's obviously going to get the best medical attention ever. So, yeah, I'm going to turn around and say 
that he's probably going to give us about 20 years before William gets involved, in which case by then William will be in his late 50s, early 60s, something like that. So he'll be a relatively, relatively young monarch. Because I guess like the Popes, you've got to hang around for somebody to die and you, you know, you, you takes a while. So with that in mind, we've taken a trip around it. We talked a little bit more about Queen Elizabeth II and it was so interesting. I still got on my iPlayer type thing, my Skybox, I still got the 70th Jubilee and it was wonderful and upbeat, but there was this undeniable like tinge of she's very old, isn't she? Now, I personally thought that she might make it to win all time. So the all time, because look, there are loads of legendary kings who like ruled for 500 years and that's obviously not a thing. But the longest reigning monarch who actually we have confirmed historical dates is Louis XIV of France, who lived for, or ruled, I should say, for about 71 and a half years. And I genuinely thought Queen Elizabeth II would beat that, but in the end she basically was just over 70. However, it is worth pointing out that Louis did have a few years because he, he was basically became king as a young boy. So there was a number of years of having a regent. So Queen Elizabeth II was the longest reigning monarch of all time with provable dates on her own without any kind of regent. But that's a lot of caveats around it. Charles, we'll see what happens with him. That's it from me. And as always, another podcast coming soon. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.